Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we are taking a sniff at aromatic bitters. Yes, we're just uh, adding a little something to the rest of the series, the same way one adds a dash of bitters to their beverage. Yeah, we're mostly going to be talking about the Angostura series of bitters, because they are probably the most well-known, but there are definitely more out there. So, I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. We're going to bring on some different flavours and smells, and in this episode we're going to explore why they're called aromatic bitters. And yeah, for anyone who's wondering what they are, it is traditionally an alcoholic preparation flavoured with botanical matter to give the end result of a bitter, sour, or bittersweet flavour. Now, uh, numerous long-standing brands of bitters were actually originally developed as medicines, as with a lot of things, but are now sold as digestives and cocktail flavorings. Mm. And what a great flavoring in cocktails they are. There's, uh, there's now so many different styles of bitters. You can just pretty much take your pick on what you want to flavor with. It's like uh, spices for alcohol. Yeah, I mean, there's... Um two different, uh, I suppose, categories of bitters, which would be your digestive bitters that are typically consumed either neat or with ice after a meal, uh, most commonly in South American and European countries. And uh, then you've got your cocktail bitters, ah, which right. are used as flavorings for cocktails. I was a bit confused at, for a moment there because I thought you might have been talking about, we might have been talking about the wrong things, but no. Yeah, that's... no, we are talking about the same things, yeah. Yeah, and, because uh, I just remember remember from last week where we had the Amaro and oh yeah brings back memories uh, that is one of the types (laughs) of digestive bitters I'll uh, name the others because there's a lot of them and let's get that out of the way now (laughs) which um, yeah so they are Alamo bitters Amaro Lucamo Amaro Montenegro Aperol Arivcano Averna Balsam Becherovka Birenberg Blutwurst Kalisaya Campari Sina, Fernet Branca, Fernet Stock, Gamel Dausler, Grand Classico Bitters, Jägermeister, Jepsen's. Ye- Jägermeister's a bitter? It's a bitter, apparently. It's in the list. Hmm. Uh, Jepsen's, Kilepic, Kummerling, Palinkovac, Quinquia, Ramanoziti. These sound very European. Ratzeputz, yeah, a lot of them are very European. <laughs> Riga Black Balsam, St. Vitters. St. Vitters. Mm. Scheifke Firstone, Schwarzhog, Syrup de Pycon, Suze, 2B60, Underberg, Unicum, Vodlia Zolakawa Gorska, and Verzel Peter. Yeah, so very European, which is what I said. They're popular in Europe. Yeah, that's... I'm still I'm not sure whether I like the idea of a bitter cocktail, but a lot of those ones that you just mentioned, they're not even bitter. Like yeah, well, Jägermeister um, is not bitter at not all. Not particularly bitter, but it, it is apparently part of the bitter family. The digestive category. Yeah, the digestive bitter hmm. category. And some of them are actually used in cocktails, as much though the um, obviously the cocktail bitters are using cocktails more, but mm. some of those are used in cocktails as well. Yeah, well, the specific, specifically the cocktail bitters are not something you would drink neat. 
Mm, that said, though, during the uh, Prohibition period in the United States, bitters, because they were considered a non-beverage... In fact, I'll find the exact term that they've used for them there. They are described as a non-beverage product and were also during that period of time. And because they were a non-beverage product, they were not banned during Prohibition, and so people were, in fact, drinking them straight from the tiny, tiny bottle. Huh. That's interesting. Because they're still alcoholic. Yeah. And, well, yeah, you know, they're quite alcoholic. And mixing them with water and drinking that, because this was readily available. They could just go out and buy a bottle of Angostura bitters. I don't know if I would like to drink a shot of Angostura bitters. Mm, I suppose 1920s plus desperation equals... <laughs> Decided to drink it with water. Well, you're not wrong. Mm. Uh, so the cocktail bitters are generally, uh, a tr- or traditionally, a alcoholic preparation flavoured with botanicals so that the end result is characterised by a bitter, sour, or bittersweet flavour. And they were originally developed as patent medicines, but now sold as flavourings. Straight from the Wikipedia, this yeah. that little section. And, uh... Interestingly, the ingredients used in preparing them historically consisted of aromatic herbs, barks, roots, and uh, fruits for their flavor and medicinal properties, of course, because it was a medicine. Mm. And uh, some of the more common ones that were used, because I've, I've got a lot of lists for this episode, people. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of lists. To list it. And uh, some of the more common ingredients were cascarilla, which is a plant native to the Caribbean, cassia, which is also known as Chinese cassia or Chinese cinnamon, Mm. gentiana, which is a blue trumpet-shaped flower, Uh, cinchana bark, which is also known as China bark, Peruvian bark, or Jesuit's bark, and is obtained from the cinchona tree, which was Mm. actually once a remedy for malaria. Another local remedy. Mm. And uh, orange peel. Of course. It's also commonly used in there, which is nowhere near as exciting sounding as something that was actually quite famous for being used as a malaria remedy, which was the uh, Tintana bark. And uh, apparently the earliest forms of bitters actually date right back to the Egyptians infusing medicinal herbs in jars of wine. That, yeah, that was... That was quite a popular thing to do. And honestly, that's still a popular thing to do with the homebrew scene. I know of quite a few people that have uh, flavoured wines with aromatic herbs because it improves the flavour of the wine and they're not worried about uh, vintages or sticking to tradition. Yeah, and of course, a lot of a lot of aromatic herbs, as we found out in our Amaro episode, have such strong flavours that they will overpower almost anything. Mm. Like I, I took that Amaro home and mixed it in with some uh, Sambuca. Yeah, and I mixed it with black Sambuca. And initially, the flavours balance each other out. But after about five minutes of me casually sipping on this drink, the Amaro's flavours had seeped into the Sambuca and overpowered it. Yeah, it turns out that particular drink is meant to be uh, shotted, not yeah. sat on. But that that is the, the power of strong aromatic herbs, that they yeah. can just leak through whatever you put them into. And yeah. of course, that's where bitters really comes into its own, is that you use very little because it just kind of spreads through the drink, and the longer you leave it sit. Like initially, when we made the drinks we're drinking today, which are Manhattans... Had to make them the IBA standard, 
because I was not allowed to make him any other way. Yes, we, we had to. <laughs> There's only so many drinks that contain bitters that are in the official IBA list. Mm. And the Manhattan is one of them. The Manhattan is one of them. And we decided that we should try and stick with the IBA standard cocktails because there's a shitload that <laughs> that are not IBA standard. Mm. And it's a standard for a reason. So if we make something to that standard, you listeners will know for sure that you can make the same thing at home and taste the same drink we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess while we're talking about IBA standard cocktails that eat this cherry yeah well we're talking about iba standard cocktails that contain bitters let's uh, go through them so we've got uh, the casino which is gin maraschino liqueur orange bitters and lemon juice the champagne cocktail which is champagne cognac and angostura bitters the sazerac which is uh, 50 mils of cognac 10 mils of absinthe one sugar cube and two dashes of Pitchard's bitters. The Derby, which is gin, peach bitters, and mint leaves. The Singapore Sling, 30 mils of gin, 150 mils of cherry brandy, 7.5 mils of Contro, 7.5 mils of Don Bencentino, and 10 mils of grenadine, with 120 mils of pineapple juice, 15 mils of lime juice, and one dash of Angostura bitters. Though I'm guessing, considering the size of the other ingredients, you want that to be a relatively sizable dash. <laughs> and uh, then we've got the horse's neck, which is one part brandy, three parts ginger ale, and a dash of Angostura bitters. The Manhattan, which is of course what we're drinking here, which is five parts rye whiskey or Canadian whiskey, two parts sweet red vermouth, and a dash of Angostura bitters. The Negroni, which is equal parts gin, sweet red vermouth, and Campari. Campari, of course, being in that initial list of digestive bitters that mm. I went through. And if you want to hear more about these cocktails in detail, we will do a episode on each of these, just like we did the martini. We will indeed. You'll get the, uh, the history behind the drink. Mm. And there are three more that um, are official IBA, and I won't go into the ingredients on them, but uh, there is the Old Fashioned, the Spritz, and the Pisco Sour. They sound really tasty. I mean, this Manhattan was quite interesting. It smells like it has a lot more burn than it does. Uh, my Yeah, first impression was, uh, this is going to taste weird, but no, it was quite mellow. Had a, has an interesting combination of flavors with that hint of sweetness from the bitters and the Angostura bitters and the maraschino cherry. Yeah, yeah. The the garnish is often just for show, but sometimes it does add a little hint of mm. flavor, which is why they do usually specify. And while I haven't gone into it in the ingredients lists, trust me, they specify what you should garnish with. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a IBA standards. So yeah. That is a question I had for you in your bartending experience why are the sta iba standards specifically the iba standards and how does a bartender how do you score a drink based on a iba standard cocktail how would one score like if if you got two bartenders at a bartending competition and they're both making a manhattan to the iba standard how would you tell the difference well Obviously, the uh, the judges would be people who are very well versed in what the drink should taste like if it's mm. made perfectly right. with 
the exact because that's that's the trick they're making it quickly to the recipe but if you were to take the time to put in the exact amount of everything right that's what the judges are tasting for how close is it to if it were made with the exact to the milliliter measurements damn and you know with the how well it's mixed and you know have any of the flavors been crushed or anything like that right and you know the cut of the garnish and all sorts of things okay because like I would, if I had 10 bartenders make me a Manhattan, I doubt I would be able to tell the difference if they were all making them to the IBA standard. Yeah, I don't think I would either. But if you follow the IBA standard recipe, it really comes down to who allows their measure to get the fullest before tipping. And was there any overflow between when they stopped with the bottle and when they started tipping the mm. the measure and... And, and there's a number of things that can change the balance of the drink. Okay, and would each bartender add their own flair to the drink? Well, that's the question. Because, yeah, as, as with anything with judging, it comes down to very minute detail. Fair enough. I, I did wonder about that because, you know, there's an, there's a standard, and if everyone's making the same drink, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, but... if but... Yeah, if there's a time limit to it, or there's some sort of pressure on, or... Mm, well, and it's like with cooking. Mm. If everyone makes from exactly the same recipe they're not necessarily all going to come out the same because of technique. That is true. That is true. Yeah. I I feel that cocktails are less complicated than cooking. Less variables. Yes and no, but because of the uh, different ingredients have different weights. True. So you need to... Ideally, you want to pour things in in the correct order. You want to make sure you've got the right balance of the flavors, just like with cooking. Right. So you, but because you're dealing with such small amounts, you've got a very small margin for error. I see. Yeah, because I'm, I, I worked in a commercial kitchen, a restaurant for a few years, so that's, that's where I'm coming from. And it doesn't making a cocktail doesn't seem as complicated as cooking a meal. But you were a bartender, so you'd see it as the other way around, wouldn't you? Hmm. Well, because when you're making a soup or something, if the balance is off, you just add a bunch more. Yeah, but. Different you can't really do that with a cocktail. No. There you go. All right. So back to the uh, <laughs> back to the topic at hand, though. Let's. Well, um, well that that was that was a a segue to that wasn't completely off topic. It wasn't. That's true. That's true. Let's let's jump back to some history because that was slightly historical on both mm. our parts. So um, <laughs> let's jump back to the history of of bitters because mm. uh, after obviously during the. Uh, the methodology we talked about with infusing herbs into wine was developed further during the Middle Ages when distilled alcohol became more available, which allowed them to make more concentrated preparations of tonics and herbal bitters. And uh, by the start of the 19th century, the practice had also become popular in the American colonies. So then by 1806, when an American preparation known as a cocktail was coming into existence... They started making use of bitters as well, and a publication called The Farmer's Cabinet, in fact, described a cocktail in 1806 as a stimulating liquor composed of spirits and any kind of sugar, water, and bitters. That's a very broad definition of a cocktail. Of a cocktail, yeah. Well, and I mean, in those days, it's quite accurate, though, because mm. in those days, you were dealing with things like, I mean, the Manhattan didn't even exist in 1806. That no. was when when it was first coming about, when the cocktail had just been dreamt up. Mm. And in the 
19th century, the the British practice of adding herbal bitters or the these aromatic bitters to to wine had become immensely popular in the in the Americas. And yeah, that's that's how cocktails came around. Yeah, and of course by the late 1800s, well, the late 1800s by the even the early 1800s, the um Angostura bitters came into existence. It was originally made from a concoction of roots, bark, spices, and was named after the Venezuelan city of Angostura, which was later renamed Cuidad Bolivar mm. in, uh, in 1846. It was renamed. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with the Angostura tree. Yeah, which um, for some reason botanists just decided to name three trees after that exact same city. <laughs> but uh, no part of any of those was used in Angostura bitters. Shame. That would be a, a great story. Mm, well, and apparently one of those trees actually had medicinal properties, but it wasn't used in that, Angostura bitters. That would have been fantastic. Though, despite the complete lack of medicinal properties, in 1824, a German physician named Dr. Johann Gottlich Benjamin Siegert, which is a fantastic German name, yeah, made Angostura bitters into a cure for seasickness and stomach ailments and began a business of sorts called the House of Angostura to sell it to sailors. Yeah, it, Angostura follows the same trend as the the rest of alcoholic history where it was initially developed as a cure-all or a uh, health tonic and people decided that this tasted too good to just use as a health tonic and decided to drink it anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is an odd one because it was kind of... It was a health tonic that had no health effects, and then it they was. They didn't know that. And then it was a drink additive in cocktails, and then this doctor changed the recipe slightly, and made it a health tonic again. Yeah. And then it became what it is today, and once again became a drink additive. Yeah. Well, it people back then didn't really know what was what. You could claim anything, and people weren't as people would b- believe you because they weren't as jaded as they are now. Yeah, well, that's that's true, but still, no one knows what's actually in Angostura bitters. No, only one person knows, and yeah. it's passed down person to person. Yeah, in a as, family family history. As with so many other drinks that mm. have a closely guarded recipe, Angostura and, bitters has a closely guarded recipe. Yeah, and I, I I've come to discover that these drinks with the the family recipe tend to be some of the best ones, some of the better better drinks on the market. Yeah, well, and I suppose it's distinctive enough that it's referred to by name in a bunch of the IBA standard cocktails. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's definitely, it has probably the most unique flavor. Like, if you put it in a drink, you will notice it. You will be able to pick that particular flavor because nothing else is quite like it. Yeah, because it's not just and bitters, it's and Angostura bitters. Hmm. There's potentially something that calls for orange bitters. If you didn't have any, you could probably make do with some orange zest. Yeah, or lemon zest. Yeah, or something similar. But Angostura bitters is so distinctive, Hmm. you're not going to be able to replicate that flavor with anything short of whatever the hell's in it. Yeah, so I'm going to pour it in a glass and pour some of it. Sorry, I'm going to pour some of the Angostura bitters into a glass and have a sniff and try and describe the flavours or scents in it. Mm. I can't. <laughs> it's, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not good at this 
taste describing, but... Whoa, okay. What, what did you expect you were going to smell? <laughs> I poured a dash of no, bitters well, I, I straight I expected into it would glass. smell more like the Amaro, and it's not that vicious. <laughs> no not, way. It's not the same either. No. It's kind of uh, a little fruity, a bit... Uh, it's got a bit of citrus to it. Yeah, it's a bit of, bit of citrus, a little bit floral. Mm. Uh probably got that Um, sort of there's a slight earthy tone to it like very 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 slight definitely some some earthiness Mm, a bit maybe a bit of bit woody yeah i i would say that they still use bark in it Mm. definitely they're still using some bark in there yeah but it's a, a very complex mixture of flavors and scents and half of i would say a good at least half of the point of adding Angostura bitters is the smell. Probably the reason it's called aromatic bitters. Yeah. It has an aroma it, to it. It has an aroma, and it's generally, if you've used things that don't have a strong scent, it will overpower them. I mean, in, mm. in the case of, because we used bourbon rather than, say, a Canadian whiskey, we've ended up with something that has a strong smell of its own, and the Angostura bitter scent kind of had to do battle with that. Yeah. So he actually had to add an extra dash into the mm, we did. Manhattan. Yeah, because generally the it's supposed to be a rye whiskey or a Canadian whiskey, mm. and we used bourbon because we didn't have no, it either was, of those. It was what but, we had on hand yeah. from previous episodes. Yeah, and uh, you know, we're made of alcohol, not money, so <laughs> <laughs> we can't be playing yeah. a rye whiskey just for... Well, we do buy a rye whiskey just for the hell of it, but not we, often. No, we, we buy... Alcohol specifically for our podcast and to review for our dear listeners. Yeah. Speaking of which, we have some exciting episodes coming up. Like I'm excited for these episodes. We do. Coming I, up. I'm also excited. It's it's a series that we no, will. No, don't don't say it yet. Just oh, okay. Stay for the end. There's a few more minutes to go. We still got still got at least five minutes. Well, I, I wasn't going to give it away just yet. Well, just okay. so that it's it's a series that we're going to break up between future episodes, starting mm. with our next episode. Yeah, hold hold off to the end to find out what it's all about. So, also for for our episode, I bought a bottle of Australian bitters. Sorry, not Australian bitters. I bought a bottle of orange bitters from the Australian Bitters Company, and it's exactly what you'd expect. It's citrusy. It's floral. It smells like candy. It's it's really quite nice and. Oh yeah, it really it, it really does. It it smells like one of those orange chocolates or something. Mm, really, and really I'm, I'm nice. I'm a fan of those, so that's yeah, we we'll, quite like. We'll have to make a yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm going to pause this episode and pour us a cocktail with orange bitters. So yeah, citrus bitters are pretty good. Um, I will probably be adding them to drinks here and there just for a bit of extra flavour. It's worth noting that it's half the strength of the Angostura bitters. Mm, half the strength, but a very strong scent. Mm. Well, I mean, it's easy to get a strong citrus scent. Well, yeah. I'm tasting the orange flavor through pretty much everything that is in here. Like The other flavors are there, but despite how little of the orange bitters you've used, it's still very prevalent. Yeah. And, it yeah, it's, it's noticeable even though it's just a dash. Just like a good bitters should be. Even if, if I'd use the Angostura bitters instead... I would have used the same amount, and we would have ended up with the same uh, volume of flavor. Yeah, well, and I mean, intensity? some intensity of flavor. In- intensity, I think, is probably the right word. Yes, and of course, some recipes even call for you to use a number of drops 
of bitters rather than a dash or two dashes because the flavor is so strong compared to what you're putting it into. Yeah, that's it. So, so that that while we while we're talking about bitters, I'm I'm reminded of a relatively terrible joke actually. But, um, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so uh, a man tells his friend that um, he he got home from work one day and found his wife in bed with another man, and he says to him. You found her in bed with another man. You bit her? He says, yep, bit him too. <laughs> oh, dear. That's yeah. A good, that's a, a very cheesy one. Yes. Yeah, so um, let's let's double back to the uh, the upcoming series. Yeah. Because we've reached that point where we plug the next episode. And the next episode is the first part of our blind taste test series. A, mu- a multi-part series. I'm, I'm really excited for this because we're, we're trying something new as we've... Uh, reached a point where it's getting trickier to find different drinks. So we're going to start doing these. And listeners, we'd love your help in finding some new drinks to talk about. So stay tuned for next week when we do this blind taste testing series. And we're we're also going to release these uh, taste testers online as... Sorry, not online. Of course they're online. We're going to release these blind taste testers as... Uh, short videos onto YouTube. Yeah, so you won't only be hearing us, you'll be able to see us blind taste testing these uh, various drinks because obviously we've we've covered a lot of factual stuff. Yeah. And now it's time to really get into the nitty-gritty and put our knowledge to the test with can we tell what we're drinking and more importantly than that, is what they're marketing things as truthful? Yeah. Is the what you think is what you think of cheap and nasty actually nasty? It might still be cheap, but is it as bad as it sounds, or is the expensive stuff all it's cracked up to be? Yeah, we won't know what we're drinking. Other people will buy for us three different things in the low range, mid range, and high range in whichever category we're doing the episode on, mm. and we won't know what we're drinking at the time. I'm so excited. This is this will be great. Yeah, so next week is Blind Taste Tests Part 1, beer. And mm. uh, if you're as excited to find out how that goes <laughs> as we are to find out how that goes, then um, you know do be sure to tune in on Podbean or your local RSS feed. Yep, uh, find us on Apple Podcasts. We are a good drop all about alcohol. You'll be able to find us on Facebook. We'll post links to the episodes and... Uh, any YouTubes and videos and photographs we we take. Yeah, we'll try cross-linking. Do uh, watch out for us on Twitter and Instagram as well because we're going to give ourselves a presence there shortly. Yeah, we'll finally get ourselves on all the socials. Um, And don't forget you can send us a good old-fashioned email to agooddrop at gmail.com. And as always, you can find our content on agooddrop.com.au. That's even more old-fashioned, the website. It is more (laughs) old-fashioned. So, speaking of old-fashioned, maybe we should do an episode on that. I think down the track we're going to have to, Mm. because that is a drink that's going to have some history. An old-fashioned history. (laughs) It's been fun. So, until next time. Cheers. Cheers.